Greetings and welcome to Astronomy at Hack. What I'm going to be doing over the summer is recording a series of videos on the history of astronomy. And in these I'll talk about various astronomers from history and we'll be starting off with this one as you may be able to see from the title screen talking about Galileo. And then we will go on and talk about different astronomers from various times in history. I would like to go back and talk about some of the earliest astronomers and even unnamed early astronomers, you know, the first people to look at the stars and what they were able to see. And then go on up to not necessarily modern day, but even the last century in the 1900s and some of the astronomers at the early part of that century and what they were doing and how they were enhancing our understanding of astronomy. And I hope what you'll learn through these series of videos is how things have changed and how things are continually changing. So not just that we see things differently today and everything seems like we understand so much, but to realize how long ago it was, how long ago it was that we did not understand things, that even a hundred years ago we didn't completely understand how stars work. And we did not even at that time understand what galaxies were. And here when we talk about Galileo, we didn't even understand fully. We were getting an idea of it, but we didn't fully understand even how the solar system worked, how objects moved. So that's the purpose of these videos. And I intend to record about 10 to 12 of them this summer. And I'm going to try to do maybe about one a week to give you different ideas and different thoughts on the diff different astronomers that have helped our understanding over the years. And as I said, we're going to start out with Galileo, but not just Galileo in general. I'm actually going to have a couple of talks here on Galileo just because he did do so much. And you'll notice that with some of these, there'll be astronomers who have multiple uh, shows. But Galileo specifically, I want to start off with his telescopic observations and what Galileo did when he turned that telescope to the sky to be able to enhance our understanding of how the solar system and the universe worked. So here's a picture of Galileo. We have Galileo here. And I do want to clarify that no, Galileo did not invent the telescope. He is credited with being the first to use the telescope to look at the sky and to record and publish those observations. But the telescope was actually invented several years before Galileo started using it. But he heard about them and started his own. He thought this would be a great instrument. And as the scientist Galileo was, he wanted to build his own. So he'd heard about this never actually saw one but had heard about the concept and made his own telescope. His biggest contribution was that not just that he used that as a telescope and pointed it at the sky, but that he recorded his observations to share with others. So that was the big thing that Galileo did and why he has so much fame in terms of why we associate Galileo with the telescopes, because he was the one who actually published observations and reported them. He began his observations in the early 1600s, around 1609, and you see him here holding a very small telescope, and you can see the diameter of the lens here, probably only 
maybe a couple of inches at the most. I think Galileo's largest telescopes were maybe an inch and a half. So we're talking about telescopes that are inches across. These are extremely small by modern standards. Modern telescopes have mirrors that are 8 meters across, 10 meters across, 12 meters across. They're gigantic telescopes by standards. Even a relatively small but famous one is the Hubble Space Telescope. And the Hubble Telescope has a mirror that is almost two and a half meters across. So Galileo's telescopes were extremely tiny by the standards we look at telescopes today. Much, much smaller than even the telescopes you can buy at the discount stores. The cheap telescopes you can go buy at a discount store are still significantly bigger than what Galileo had. But again, these were the first telescopes and very important because they changed our understanding of how the universe works. Now here's an example looking at Galileo's telescope. And here's one of his examples of one that he put together. And you can see the tubes here, the tube that would hold the lenses in here. And the lens would gather the light. So the lens, there would be a lens that would gather the light and bring it down to a focus. And brings it down to a focus where an observer can look at it. His first telescope, as I said, was less than an inch in diameter. So extremely tiny by any standards that we are used to today. Later he went up to maybe an inch and a half telescope, inch and a half diameter telescopes, and he was able to magnify things, you know, that were eight times, 10, 20, and I, if I recall his maximum was around 30 times that he could magnify. So extremely small magnifications, extremely small telescopes, but very important work that Galileo did. And here's just some examples of what he did, and we'll talk about these in more detail in the coming slides. But what did he look at? Well, what are you going to look at when you have a telescope and you want to look at something that's around there? You're going to look at some of the brightest objects. You're going to look at the moon. You're going to look at the sun. You're going to look at the planets, Jupiter, Venus, Saturn, and you might look at the Milky Way, that diffuse band of light that you see when you're out camping perhaps at a dark site. That is that's our galaxy. We didn't know that at the time, but that is actually our galaxy. These are a number of things that Galileo observed and recorded his observations of with his very small telescope, again, that is pictured here. So first, what did Galileo look at? Well, I'm not going to necessarily do these in the exact order that he looked at, but what's one of the first objects you're going to tend to turn to? And that's the moon. Moon's the brightest object in the nighttime sky. So it's very, very bright. People have been looking at it for years and years. They know all about it. And so when he turned his telescope to it, what did he find? Well, he found a couple of different things. He found, first of all, it really wasn't a perfect sphere. Now, we know that when we look at it, when we look at the sun now, sun, sorry, when we look at the moon now, we see that it has what we call maria. 
we know Maria to be lava flows on the surface of the moon. Again, this wasn't known at the time, but we know what they are now. But we see that the moon has Maria. We can see that today. The moon has the Maria, and when Galileo looked at it through the telescope, not only did he see that kind of detail, but he saw much more. He actually saw that the moon had mountains and craters, and you see in some of his sketches here, you can see some of those ideas, some of where the craters are, where there are some craters on the surface of the moon, and mountains, just like the Earth. Okay, why is this such a big deal? Why was it such a big deal that the moon was like an Earth? The problem was that early on, the heavens were thought to be perfect. The heavens were perfect. That meant that everything was spherical, perfect spheres, and everything moved in circles. So Galileo is finding something here that's proving that the heavens are not perfect as Aristotle taught. So a problem there. The heavens are not perfect. Now maybe not so big of a problem because the moon is known to be the closest object to the earth in space. And maybe it's just corrupted by those horrible earthly influences that make it that look like this, that give it mountains, just like we have mountains on the earth. Why is it not completely smooth when it's in the heavens? Well, it's been, it's too close to the earth and it's been corrupted. It's not a perfect, it's not perfect the way it should be out in the heavens. But this was one of the first objects to have been looked at. And of course you can see, as you look, where you see the most detail in the moon is right along this day-night dividing line which is called the Terminator. Terminator is the border between the light side of the moon and the dark half of the moon. And when you look at that, you can see how he's drawn so many more craters there. You can see Maria off to the side, but you can actually see where, he's, where craters have been illuminated and parts of them are being illuminated and parts of them are not being filled in with light. And you're seeing the idea of mountains and valleys on the moon. So the moon was actually a lot like the earth in many ways, which was a difficulty for those who believed in the perfect heavens, that the heavens had to be perfect. Now, the, what's, that was the brightest object in the nighttime sky. The brightest object in the daytime sky is the sun. Galileo did observe the sun, and he was fortunate that he was observing it through a very small telescope, a relatively weak telescope that didn't have a lot of power, but it is still incredibly dangerous and he likely damaged his eyes due to his observations of the sun. There are much better ways to look at the sun nowadays, so if you ever do get a telescope, don't point it at the sun. You don't want to look at the sun through a telescope. Modern telescopes, you'll burn your eyes out very, very quickly trying to look at the sun. But what did he find when he looked at the sun? he found that the sun was not even perfect. So even the sun was not perfect. It had spots. And here he has labeled in one of his diagrams some of the spots that he traced across the surface of the sun and saw them, saw where they were, and was able to watch them move as the sun rotated. So not only was the moon not perfect, okay, we could get away with that because maybe the moon is just corrupted by the earth. But the sun isn't even perfect.
the sun is um, has spots on it. So even the sun is not, not perfect. So again, we're moving away from that perfect Aristotelian universe that we had before and coming towards a more imperfect universe where everything is closer to what it seems like on the earth that you could have spots on the earth you could have spots on the sun you have mountains on the earth you have mountains on the sun now one of the other things that he, that galileo looked at if you're going to look at the moon and the sun you're going to start looking at the other objects the fainter objects and one of the obvious things to look at is the planets so one of the first planets that he'd look at would be jupiter and here we have a page from one of Galileo's writings, one of his notebooks, that shows Jupiter and several of these stars that moved around it. So not only did he find new stars, you know, these were new stars, they were not visible before, but they actually moved around Jupiter. Something orbited Jupiter. Now that was a difference because everything else at the time, the universe, as you recall, was what we call geocentric, meaning that everything orbited the Earth. Now we found something that is not orbiting the Earth. This was the first proof of something that did not, that was out there in space that did not orbit the Earth. Jupiter might have been orbiting the Earth, we thought at the time. The sun was orbiting the Earth. The moon was orbiting the Earth. All the planets, all the stars, everything was orbiting the Earth. Here was proof of one thing that did not orbit the Earth. And why was that important? Well, it was that Jupiter was moving. We knew Jupiter was moving. It was orbiting the Earth. That's what we thought at the time. But Jupiter could move around the Earth and yet these stars could still follow around it and not get left behind as Jupiter traveled. This was a big concept to come up with. You recall that at this time, this is the 1600s, we haven't gotten to Newton and gravity yet. So we have no concept of gravity and being able to maintain things that way. So how could these things travel and why were they kept around Jupiter even though it was moving around the Earth? So, and this was a concern whether, it, whether they moved around Jupiter, whether Jupiter orbited the Earth, or did Jupiter orbit the Sun. Either one of those would have been a difficulty because why were these little stars that were orbiting Jupiter not left behind in its wake as it moved? Now Galileo, these are now called the Galilean moons of Jupiter. Um, Galileo actually called them the Medicean stars after his patron and who had who was funding his work so he called the, they were named the Medicean stars they've since been called the Galilean moons of Jupiter and these are Io, Europa, Ganymede and Callisto the four largest moons of Jupiter so a big jump there in something that actually did not orbit the earth he continued making these observations, and here's a sketch over a number of days 
where you can see that sometimes there's two moons on one side and then there's one and then there's three and two and you could see if you could trace their paths you could trace their orbits and find out how they're moving and find that they are orbiting around Jupiter. You could find their orbital periods which are days to weeks, couple days for the shortest, in fact less than two days, to almost two, uh, two weeks or so for the longest of the, of the moons orbiting around Jupiter. And we could observe that. We could actually find kind of elements of their orbit. We could find out how they were orbiting around. We still didn't have the understanding of why they orbited, but it was very definite evidence that they did orbit around Jupiter and that Jupiter was, as I mentioned on the last slide, able to move around the Earth even or around the Sun and still not have something left behind it. That was not a concept that was well understood at the time. Now, another object you might look at, and another very important one, was the phases of Venus. We know that the moon goes through phases. We see it. You see the moon as a crescent phase. You'll see it as a quarter phase, and you'll see it as a full phase. Well, when Galileo looked at Venus, he found that it did the same thing. It went through phases as well, and not only did it go through phases, but it changed size. Two very important things. It changed its size and it goes through phases just like our moon. Why is this so important? This is extremely important because these two things cannot be explained under a geocentric model. This is actually proof that geocentric model that was used putting the Earth at the center and the Sun and all of the planets orbiting around the Earth was not possible. There was no way under that, that model of the universe to have Venus viewed in all the different phases. So we would, that would not have been possible. And the significant size change showed that Venus was actually getting closer to the Earth and further from the Earth, which was showing one thing that it would have helped was the idea that Venus was closer to the Sun and sometimes it was on the near side of the Sun, closer to the Earth, then it would look a lot bigger. And at that time, most of the illuminated portion of Venus would be pointing away from the, from the Earth. So we wouldn't see it. And we'd see only a very thin crescent. And that's what we're seeing, something very close to the Earth, and most of the illuminated part was towards the Sun. And here, later, it, when it was further from the Earth, it was a very small but almost full face because that part was facing towards the Earth and the whole illuminated portion of Venus was pointing towards the Earth. So again, these were extremely important because they eliminated Ptolemy's geocentric model. Now it did not eliminate Tycho's model. If you recall, Tycho had a model where he left the Earth at the center of the universe and had the Moon and the Sun orbit around the Earth, but everything else orbited around the Sun. 
all the star, all the planets orbited around the sun. So it was sort of an in-between model that actually would explain the phases of Venus that were seen. So it was not enough to prove the heliocentric theory. It did not prove that anything that the Earth went around the sun or even that the Earth moved. What it proved was that Venus had to go around the sun. Whether that sun still went around the Earth was a, certainly a possibility and fit the observations of the time. It wasn't until much later when we were actually able to observe stellar parallax that we could show that the heliocentric model, the sun-centered model, was correct. Now, what else did he look at? Well, we've got a couple more planets. He would have looked at Mars. Mars wasn't anything really very amazing in his telescope. You wouldn't be enough to see the details that you can see on Mars from modern maps. And it would not have been enough to see the moons of Mars. It would have been too hard to be able to pick out. But he did look at Saturn. And Saturn, he did not, was not able to see the rings. And we see the image here. Here is his sketch of Saturn. And it was very odd. Saturn had these kind of blobs, kind of companions there that were, that was around it. it did, they didn't orbit around it the way the moons of Jupiter did, the way his Medicean stars did, because they didn't change position. They were there and kind of like big blobs on either side, sort of like Saturn had great big ears sticking out on it. But he didn't have enough power. It wasn't until later in the 1600s that larger telescopes were developed that we were able to actually distinguish and find out that these are really the rings of Saturn. He was not able to detect those. He knew that there was something there. But the other odd thing was that he found that his something, whatever it was, disappeared. My goodness, what happened here? Where did this something go? The Medicean stars? Well, he could understand those. When they disappeared, they might have been passing in front of Jupiter and not been visible to him. Or they might have been passing behind Jupiter and not be visible. But where were these objects going? They didn't seem to be rotating around Saturn. And what we know now is that the rings are extremely thin. And that when they're tilted, sometimes they're tilted to the side so we can see the top or the bottom of the rings and we get a beautiful view of Saturn's rings. Other times they are tilted edgewise and it's almost like looking at like a sheet of paper from the edge. You can't see anything. It's just way too thin and you're unable to get anything to see anything with it. So that's what he was finding out. Now he did not know that. He was never able to see the rings of Saturn. He knew that they were, he knew that something was there, but he was never able to actually determine what they were. Now, finally, one of the last things that I mentioned is that he turned his eyes toward his eyes and his telescope toward the Milky Way and found that there were a multitude of stars there. So here's an example of a star cluster where here's the stars, these bright stars that you might normally see, these six or so bright stars that would have been normally visible to the naked eye that you could have made out. But when he put the telescope there, that wasn't all. There were many, 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 many more stars. 
that were found. So he was able to discover a plethora of stars, a tremendous number of stars that were not known before. So the Milky Way was not just this milky patch in the sky that stretched across the sky. It was actually a great number of stars that were visible. So it was not, as had been taught previously, that the heavens were fixed and unchanging and that there were only a certain number of stars. Well, Galileo just found a large number of stars. He just discovered many thousands and thousands more stars than were previously known just by looking towards the Milky Way. And wherever he pointed his telescope, he could find stars that were not visible to the naked eye. Now, this Milky Way is now known to be our own galaxy. So it's actually just one galaxy of many billions of galaxies. Now, we, ha we have to sort of kind of go back in time to the mindset that was there at the time. Galaxies were unknown. Our, our universe was the Earth and the little bits of things that all went around it. We've sort of changed our position in the universe by making first the sun at the center instead of the Earth. And over the last few hundred years, since the time of Galileo, the universe has increased in size. Not really, not it hasn't really changed that much, but our understanding of it has. Our understanding of galaxies and stars are there and have taught us and we've learned so much more and our universe has become so much bigger and we've become just a very tiny portion of that universe. So what did we learn with Galileo? He really, he changed our understanding of the universe by using his telescope to observe the sun, the moon, the planets, the stars, and our galaxy. Didn't know, again, he didn't know about our galaxy but he changed our understanding that would come. He found that objects could have things orbiting them and still be able to move. That was an argument against the Earth being able to move. It's like, how can it move if things are orbiting it? Because they'd be left behind. It would travel along and they'd be left behind. Again, remember, no concept of gravity yet. That was coming. We'll talk about Newton in a later video. What it did was it, in one of his other observations of the phases of Venus, was one thing that could not be explained in Ptolemy's model of the universe. Ptolemy said that the Earth was at the center and all the planets and the sun moved around the Earth. That was impossible. That was proven wrong by Galileo's observations. What Galileo did not prove was that the Earth orbited the sun. His observations could not do that. The other universe, the other model of the time, of Tycho's model, which put the Earth at the center, the Sun orbiting the Earth, and all the planets orbiting the Sun, explained all of Galileo's observations just fine. So while it did support the Copernican model of the universe with the Sun at the center, it had no way to prove that. So Galileo was not able to prove that. And this and Galileo's stubbornness in reporting some of the things that he saw and sticking to them gave him some great problems later on, which we'll be talking about coming up here in another video. So this finishes up my discussion of Galileo and his telescopic observations. And 
All the material presented here is either mine, the textual material, or all of the pictures are public domain pictures, all long since out of copyright sketches of Galileo's. So that's why they're being presented here. And no copyright, I do not claim any copyright on those. The only thing I have created is my own material. And I do share this freely with others. You're welcome to use this material if you like. I have no problem with that. I just ask that you do use the Creative Commons license, which says that you attribute it to me as I did the work to create this, and that it's not used for, not for commercial purposes, and that if you have to be willing to share. You're using my material or posting it or doing something. You have to share it as well. So that information is there and available, available for you. So I hope you've enjoyed this first video that I've recorded on the history of astronomy. I'm hoping again to come up with about one a week over the coming over this over this summer so that you'll be able to follow along and learn some more about the history of astronomy and how our knowledge has developed. So until next time, have a great day everyone and I will see you in class.